Good morning, brothers and sisters. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we are gathered here this morning to honor Him, to worship, and to love. And I hope that both of those things fill your heart this morning as you look to the Lord and delight in Him, and also as you look around and see all of these people, the people whom God has put us together with, the the fellow believers, the Christians whom God has put in our lives. What a special thing it is to gather, not just uh, here, to have a a personal, private, uh, devotional uh, time with the Lord, but to be with His people. And so I hope this morning as you're here and and as the service finishes that you won't race out uh, to go and do your own thing, but that all of us this morning will take time to be with one another in the Lord. If you would go with me in your Bibles this morning to Exodus chapter 20, we will be today in verse 12. And for several weeks now, we have been looking at the Ten Commandments within our series on Exodus. So you could think of this as a series within a series, what we've been doing in the Ten Commandments as a series within the series. And I can remember when we came to the Lord's Prayer, not just the Lord's Prayer itself, but the lead-up to the Lord's Prayer, as we were going through the Sermon on the Mount, that really became a series within a series as well. And it's one of the great things about going through God's Word sequentially and uh, going through the Scriptures expositionally is that we get all of these little series within the larger book that we're in. We get so many different themes, and here's the, uh, the most important thing. We get to see those themes emerge in their context. And so we get to see the weight and fullness of those themes, not just sort of picked out of their context and used for a particular purpose. So we're in this series, very much still. We're in Exodus, so don't see this as we floated up and on a cloud somewhere and we're just looking at the Ten Commandments. But we are, we are in Exodus. We are moving through, and we are now in the Ten Commandments. So far, we have covered the first four commandments. Yahweh alone, no idols, Honoring God's name and the Sabbath day. Those are the four that we have looked at so far. So after today, we'll be halfway done looking at the Ten Commandments. And after preaching on the Sabbath day commandment last week, as expected, I have had different sorts of conversations with some of you. Now, I haven't had conversations with all of you, but I've had some conversations Uh, with some of you, and some have felt liberated. Uh, I talked with some of you who uh, said that to me, that you feel liberated uh, based on what was talked about last week on the fourth commandment, and others have felt troubled. And then there's people in between. So liberated, troubled, in between, not sure what to feel, not sure what to think. Had a couple people say to me, I have never heard a pastor say those things before. Um, So, all across the spectrum, feeling and thinking in different ways. And the Sabbath is indeed a question that has generated much debate. Some are Sabbatarians, and you know, these labels sometimes are more hurtful than helpful. But if we're going to use a label, some are Sabbatarians who believe that the Sabbath command, like all of the others, is binding on believers. That it is a creation ordinance or a creation mandate. 
And as Christians, they would understand Sunday, the Lord's Day, to be the Christian Sabbath. So, for example, uh, this past week, I was listening to a discussion through Ligonier. And they were talking about men I greatly respect, uh, like Sinclair Ferguson, for example, uh, talking about the Christian Sabbath. So these believers would understand that the Lord's Day is the Christian Sabbath. There has been a transfer to Sunday, but the Sabbath command remains. And there are many people whom I respect today and in history who hold this view, who would call Sunday the Christian Sabbath. And there are some of you whom I deeply love who hold this view. And that's okay. And then there is the non-Sabbatarian position. And just so you understand, this is, I know some came, said to me, I, they've never heard that last week, but there are some, many people who hold to a non-Sabbatarian position. Just to give you a few examples, uh, Wayne Grudem, probably one of the most well-known theologians, is not a Sabbatarian. Thomas Schreiner, uh, New Testament scholar, has written a lot on Paul in particular. And John MacArthur, uh, those are three, and there are many others you could name who are not Sabbatarians. So, so I, I hope you're not thinking this is just some strange view I made up last week as I was preaching. Uh, there are many who would say that they are not Sabbatarians, and there are many who would say that they are Sabbatarians. And you know what's wonderful is I see these guys at the same conferences and get to hear them preach God's Word at the same conferences. What a blessing that they've not allowed that to divide them. So uh, those are just some examples of individuals who are non-Sabbatarian, and this is the position that I put forward last week, the view that the Sabbath command is no longer binding on believers, that Jesus is our Sabbath rest, that he is the substance, and the Sabbath is a shadow. For me, it is Impossible for me to get around the words of Colossians 2, verses 16 to 17. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. And I, I heard a, a sermon just a couple days ago by John MacArthur where he comments that uh, some, where some have argued that Sabbath there refers to other Sabbaths, not the weekly Sabbath, uh, MacArthur made the point that actually um, a lot of those would be covered under festivals. And so here by Sabbath, he means none other than the weekly Sabbath. And, and, and even if that's not convincing, he doesn't specify. He simply uses a Sabbath. And then he goes on to say, Paul, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So according to this view, the Sabbath was unique to Israel. Rooted in creation, yes, but not commanded before Israel. And in my mind, and I, I know the argument of those who are Sabbatarians, that, that it's, it's there in Genesis 2 and it would have prevailed up until Moses the problem is that there's just no evidence for that. What we do have, by contrast, are specific references in the New Testament, like Colossians 2, that deal with this question. So for me, I'm going to privilege those words in Colossians 2 over a construal of what may have been the case, but is not clearly the case 
between Genesis 2 and Exodus 16. The Sabbath was a sign of the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant, and it does not carry over into the New. It is the only one of the Ten Commandments not reiterated in the New Testament. Think about that for a moment, because some, that's the other big argument from Sabbatarians, is that, well, we're, we're to obey all the commandments, how can we cherry-pick one and obey the other nine? Well, that's a good question, and it's logical. But the problem is that all the other nine are reiterated in the New Testament. We're told not to covet. We're told not to commit adultery. We're told uh, not to commit idolatry. We're told not to steal and murder and so forth. But we are not told anything regarding keeping Sabbath. In fact, we get words like I just read from Colossians 2. The Sabbath is rich, however, with implications for how we think about work and rest and how we may choose to spend the Lord's day. Not how we must choose to spend the Lord's day, but how we may choose to spend the Lord's day. The Sabbath is relevant to those things. It's relevant to our work-rest patterns. It's relevant to how we think about our need to be refreshed. It's relevant to how we think about spending the Lord's day. But these implications are to be thought about in terms of principles, not requirements. And I think that's the difference between a Sabbatarian and non-Sabbatarian position is that a non-Sabbatarian is willing to say there is much here that can be applied to my life in terms of how I think about my week and how I think about Sunday. But this is not binding on believers. But I want to leave that topic where I did last week with Paul's words in Romans 14, and then I'm just going to move on. So Romans chapter 14, verses 5 to 8, this is what Paul says. This is what Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles, who is also Jewish, a Hebrew of Hebrews, says. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. And let me say this to you. I have no desire to convince you. My desire is simply to put before you what I think God's word teaches and to say, let's not be judging one another with regard to how we think about these things. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. If you think and believe in your heart that Sunday must be a day of rest or it must be a break in the pattern in these specific ways and you must spend it in these specific ways and you're convinced that God's word teaches that, to not do that would be sin for you. It would be sin for you. So he says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And here's, here's the point. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And Paul will go on to say, who are you to judge another man's servant, Christian? We all belong to Christ. We are under Christ. We're bound to Christ. And so whatever we do, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, we do it before the face of God 
in thanks to Christ and unto him as our Lord. We do that every day as we live and we do that right up through death. We live unto the Lord, we die unto the Lord, and then we spend our eternity with the Lord. So let us not judge one another on this matter. Let us not go against our consciences and may we be fully convinced in our own minds. And whatever we do, may we do it unto the Lord and may we do it recognizing that Sabbath rest is fulfilled in Jesus. And so let me just say this. For those who would say, yeah, I'm not a Sabbatarian, I want you to consider how this, how this could devolve into carnality, right? So there's a way in which you could think about this where you could just become more worldly and more carnal. And one of the good points that Sabbatarian Christians have is that this, this helps us, this guards us from that carnality and that worldliness when we take that break and we think about that day. And, that, and that's a good point. That's a wise way to think. So let me just say, let this not devolve for any of us. Remember, and I heard Piper say this recently, uh, that John Piper, that is, uh, that Paul here says we esteem all days alike. All days must be esteemed as being holy unto the Lord. So this is not an invitation to treat all seven days as mundane and profane. It's an invitation to treat all seven days as holy unto the Lord. Every day a Sabbath unto Christ. So today we come to the fifth commandment. And the title for the sermon this morning is The Fifth Commandment, Honoring Parents. Honoring Parents. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. So we're going to read Exodus 20, verses 1 to 17. Uh, But our focus today will be on verse 12. This is the word of God. And God spoke all these words saying, I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or an idol or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." And then verse 12, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, 
You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. You can go ahead and be seated. Let's pray and ask that God would illuminate his word, that he would convict our hearts and encourage us. We, we need to be encouraged and we need to be convicted. So we pray that God would do that work and he would meet each of us where we are and do precisely what only he can do in each of our hearts. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is a scalpel in your hand and it is sometimes a hammer. Lord, sometimes it is a sweet pillow to lay upon. It functions in so many ways in our lives. We thank you that it makes wise the simple, that it rejoices those who are downtrodden. Lord, we thank you that in every way it brings us towards love of you and joy in you. And so, Father, we pray that it would do that this morning and that even where we are convicted of our sin, that we would run to Christ, that we would uh, rejoice in the wonderful truth that there is a remedy for this sin and that Christ himself died for these sins. Lord, help us to flee from sin, not to be content in it, not to just lay around in it, Lord, but to flee from sexual immorality, to flee from every other kind of immorality and to trust in you as our great creating and redeeming God. Father, we thank you for our Savior we pray that he would be exalted this morning in all that we do. We thank you for Mary's baptism, Lord. We pray your blessings on her. We pray that she would be filled with your spirit daily. And God, that you would do many wonderful things through her life for your glory and the good of your people. God, we praise you that we get to witness this. We thank you our children get to witness this, this wonderful picture of what it means to be identified with Christ, to die with Christ, be buried, and be raised with him to newness of life. We thank you for her new life, and we pray, God, that you would protect her from the evil one and help all of us be, be a means that you use in that protection. Father, guide us this morning as we go through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we try to understand and apply this commandment, we're going to look at it uh, from three angles. We're going to look at three things. And so here they are. We're going to look at the application of this commandment in the home, after the home, and then outside the home. And you'll understand a little more as we go through what I mean by those. In the home, after the home, and outside the home. So let's go first to in the home. And look with me again at verse 12 so we can put a spotlight on that verse. It says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now, the structure of this verse is simple. If you were just uh, going to go through and, and sort of determine what are the different parts of this verse, oh, it's pretty simple. We have a command followed by a promise. That's of the very clear structure of what we have in verse 12. The command is to honor father and mother. It is to honor our parents. Now this verb honor is really important for us to understand because I think packed into uh, the overall meaning of this verb, we get the, the, the basic idea 
of, of what it means to relate well to our parents. The verb honor carries the idea of weight or heaviness. To honor is to treat with significance. It is to treat someone as weighty. And we talked about this when we talked about honoring God's name. To honor God's name is to hold it up. And I talked about, you know, in our home, books that are on the floor, books that, you know, maybe have been chewed on or whatever, just off to the side. And then special books, maybe leather-bound books or special Bibles that I've gotten over the years that I keep up a little bit so they don't get chewed on by the dog or by the toddler. And so uh, that, that's one of the things that we understand is that there are things that are held up and things that are more common just sort of laying around. You would treat a daily newspaper differently than you would treat an expensive set of volumes on something that you really cared about. Everything for me comes back to books. Sorry, I have to use that analogy. But we think about God's name in that way. We hold up his name. We honor his name. And it is to treat someone as weighty or significant. Now, the opposite would be to treat lightly. Treat something weighty, you treat something lightly. And in fact, the verb to curse carries this idea of treating lightly. So, so to honor on one end and to curse on the other. On the other end of the spectrum, from honoring parents, we get this in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 9. For anyone who curses his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. He has cursed his father or his mother. His blood is upon him. So before we go any further, we need to recognize how seriously God takes the treatment of parents. This is not a small matter for the Lord. How a child treats mom and dad is of utmost significance. And as we go through, we'll see a little more why that is. But it is of utmost significance to the Lord. And I think most, uh, one of the most important things to recognize is that this acts, as some commentators say, this acts as a bridge between the first set of commandments and the latter set of commandments. The first set of commandments deal directly with the Lord. The first four, vertical And then the latter six are horizontal, love of God and love of neighbor. But it's interesting, we have this fifth commandment. And some have actually put this into the first category, and here's why. Because when we honor our parents, we are honoring the representatives of God's authority in our lives. So how is it that a child comes to have any notion of God? How is it that a child has to come, comes to have any notion of authority? of God's binding authority over his or her life? And the answer is through God's representatives. Or as Paul Tripp says, God's ambassadors. We are God's representatives to our children, God's ambassadors. So for a child to disrespect mom and dad is to disrespect the Lord. child without submission to his or her parents' authority will have no regard for God. One follows from the other. This is no small matter to Yahweh. Then we have the promise. So there's the command. And then we have the promise. That your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Or as Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 16 puts it. That your days may be long. And that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. 
Now, Paul, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3, picks up this command when instructing children. We'll talk about that a little more in a moment. And he comments that it is the first commandment with a promise. So here we have uh, the Lord going along in the commandments, and he talks about his loving kindness, steadfast love earlier. But here we've, we've got the first command with a promise. The Israelites were headed to the promised land. They were headed to the land of Canaan. And the Lord held out for them blessings and curses. Uh, remember the end of Deuteronomy as they're about to enter into the land. And you read some of those curses and it's heart-wrenching. It's horrendous. But the blessings that God will bring on his people if they obey. And the curses that God will bring if they disobey. To go away from parents. In the context of the Ten Commandments, what's being said is to go away from parents, to curse and dishonor them, to treat them lightly and not with the weightiness and heaviness that they deserve, will result in God's curses with regard to the land. It will result in forfeiture of the land. It will result in the land not producing as God said it would if they were blessed. It will result in ultimately exile from the land. So laying that groundwork, I wanted to go through the commandment in that way. Just so you understand in the context here what's being said. But laying that groundwork, what are we to do with this commandment to honor parents? As we think about it today, as we think about it in our own lives. And I think we have to think about this from three angles And these are our three points for this morning. We have to think about obeying this command, following this command, obeying God's will, submitting to the Lord in this regard. We have to think about that from three angles. And so we find these listed here. In the home, after the home, and outside the home. So let's begin with in the home. And as I said before, Paul picks up this command when instructing children in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. And this is what he says to children. Now let me just put that in context. As Dennis read earlier, he's instructing wives, and then he goes on to instruct husbands, and then he gives general instruction for marriage. Then he moves to children, and then after that, fathers. But here's what he says to children. Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is fitting. This is in accordance with God's creation. This is in accordance with God's will. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Paul addresses this topic again in Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, where he says, Similarly, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. So as we think about this command, the fifth commandment, for children living at home, the application of the fifth commandment most fundamentally is to obey mom and dad. It is to submit to their authority. And let me say this uh, to you children as you are trying to discern your own conversion 
as you're hearing the gospel and thinking about the fruit of conversion in your life, whatever it is that begins to come out of your heart and out of your life that may lead you to believe that you are truly regenerate, that you've become a Christian, it better be the case that this is present, right? This is God's will for children. God's will for children boiled down to this. So you might be doing a whole lot of other things, but this is God's will for you as a child to submit to your parents' authority, to honor them, and specifically to honor them by obeying them, to do what they say. Remember the centurion who comes to Jesus and he says, I know you have authority. Uh, I have authority too. You just speak the word and, 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 and he'll be healed. My servant will be healed. And the centurion uh, says, for I'm a man also under authority and I have those under me. And I say, come and they come and do and they do. This is what authority looks like. When a parent speaks to his or her child, they do what the parent says. One of the little... Uh, I don't know what you would call it, little sayings or maxims or ditties that we could use here, is to obey right away and all the way. I don't know who I heard that from. I think that may have even been our, our, son, our, our kid's school. But to obey right away and all the way. So just tuck that away, parents. Let's use that with our children. It's easy to remember, easy for them to remember, to obey right away and all the way. This is God's will for them. And let me say this to us as parents. It doesn't matter whether it's our will or not. It doesn't matter how lazy we want to be or how moody we want to be or how passive and permissive we want to be. This is God's will, right? In other words, we just don't have the right to not demand that of our kids because we don't own them. They belong to God. And their creator is telling them what they are to do. We're responsible for ensuring that they do it. To obey right away and all the way, this is God's will for children. Now, of course, of course, if a parent were to command sin or to not follow Christ, that is where a text like Acts chapter 5 verse 29 comes into play. We must obey God rather than men. For example, uh, I remember when I was a youth pastor years ago, I remember taking our, our youth to, um, to camp and there was a, a speaker there named Afshin Ziafat, great, great speaker, really enjoyed hearing him teach. And he uh, was an Iranian who had come over and he had converted to Christ and his parents, I think, basically disowned him. They, uh, they were Muslim. They had moved over here during the Iranian Revolution and his parents had, uh, he had become a Christian here and his parents had essentially disowned him. Uh, because he became a believer. And so if in that situation the parents were to say, you cannot read the Bible, you cannot gather with God's people, uh, that's where we go to a text like Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We must obey God rather than men. So for children to obey. This command also involves revering and listening. Let me use those two things, to, to obey, but also to revere and to listen. And this goes back to the whole heaviness idea and the weightiness idea. We find this idea of reverence in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 3. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. 
that is to uh, revere them, to hold them in, in a sense, in a lowercase a, in an in in awe, to hold them in an awe that's obviously different from the awe we hold God in, but to revere them up, to lift them up, to respect them. And to listen to them. Proverbs chapter 1 verses 7 to 8. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And then Solomon, who I think is the writer, goes on to say, Hear, my son, your father's instruction. And forsake not your mother's teaching. To not hear your father's instruction or to forsake your mother's teaching is to go the way away from the fear of the Lord. It is to go the way of the fool. It is to go into destruction. I like the way Ted Tripp, Paul and Ted Tripp, brothers, they both have written great books on parenting. Just be wonderful to sit at one of their little family times and just hear them talk. They've written such wonderful things to help parents. Uh, But Ted Tripp, who wrote Shepherding a Child's Heart, describes a circle of blessing uh, in light of Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 3. And when our children begin to go outside of that circle of blessing, that it's our job to pull them back on in, right? That's what we parents have to do. Uh, To let them go, you hear people talk about, uh, permissive parents talk about love. How is it love to let your child fall in a ditch? How is it love To send your child out in front of a Mack truck. How is it love to let them stray as far as they desire to go away from the will of their maker? Such is not love. Such is hate. Such is folly. So what does this say to parents? It is our job to hold this before our children. We must As we bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. As Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4 says. We must require their obedience, their respect, and their listening. Even when we're in just a great mood and we can't, you know, we're fine, whatever. Or even when we're really busy and we just cannot be bothered. Or even when we've gone years and years without doing it, and it would just be so hard to start over. We must require their obedience, their respect, and their listening. And we must discipline them when they do not. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 24 has some of the strongest words I think with regard to spanking, I think rod here is understood in that way. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. May it not be that any of us hates our children. And I mean in God's eyes, according to God's word. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Whatever the world says, this is what God says. We are, as Christians, those who obey God, those who follow God, those whose mindset is based on God's revelation, those whose understanding of our children and what they need comes from their creator. 
We're not to be conformed to this world. This world says don't spank your kids, but affirm their three-year-old transgenderism. This is a perverse generation. It's not to be followed, but the one who follows the Lord will be blessed and will have God's wisdom guiding him or her every step of the way. And we do this, we must say, all of this requiring and disciplining, we do this with all the patience and all the gentleness and all the love and all the tenderness and all the sweetness and sympathy and empathy and kindness and affection that we've seen from our Heavenly Father in Exodus and as we saw just a couple of weeks ago with Thomas at the resurrection. We see the kindness, compassion, and patience of the Lord. None of this requiring and spanking is to be done in anger or is to be done as personal vindication of our own pride or for the glory of our own convenience. This is to be done for their good as an act of worship and in obedience to our God. And we must also, so we must require their obedience, respect, and listening, but we must give them something to listen to. And that is instruction. How can we require our kids to listen when we don't say anything worthwhile? We don't have anything to give. We don't have any instruction to bring. We're just going through life. Just concerned with our own free time and hobbies and our money and whatever else. Our vacations. Just me, me, me. God's given us children to raise for his glory. So we must give them something to listen to. Deuteronomy 6 verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Teach God's word diligently to your children. And finally, we must not trample on their submission. They are in a vulnerable state, children. They're in a vulnerable state because they are required by God to submit to their parents, to obey their parents. And that is why we have these words in the New Testament in Ephesians 6, 4. Do not provoke your children to anger. We must be gentle and careful in how we relate to our children. Not, ha not haphazard, slothful, selfish. Colossians 3.21, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. We're, we're focused on our kids' encouragement. We're focused on their emotions. But we must discipline them or we hate them. So both are important. And it's amazing how often in our sinfulness we fall into one of these two ditches. We become harsh, abusive parents. Or we become permissive Foolish parents who just fall into the way of the world and let them do as they please. So this is the commandment in the home. Secondly, we have after the home. That brings us to our second point, if you want to write, write that down. After the home, honoring parents after the home. 
When we think about honoring parents, we naturally think first of children obeying mom and dad. That's the first thing that comes to our minds. And that's the way this commandment begins in a given life. All of us came to this commandment in that way. So it is natural that that's the first thing that would come to our minds. But we need to recognize that this commandment is given to the nation as a whole. Not just the kids. It's not as though the Lord is going through the first four. And then he says to Moses, gather all the children uh, to, to a section of Mount Sinai. And I'm going to give the children uh, the fifth commandment. In fact, the primary audience here are the adults. The adults as a whole, they constitute the primary audience of this command. They're not in the home anymore. So here's the point I want you to get. This commandment doesn't stop when we leave home. This is not just for kids living under their parents' authority. This commandment applies all the way through life after the home. It applies to adult children with aging parents, and I think it applies in several ways. So I want to spend a little bit of time now looking at several ways that this commandment applies to adult children. So first, wait. Back to this idea of wait. Honor. Our parents' identity their presence, their opinions, their words never cease to lose their weight. And this is how we treat them, whether we agree with them or not. Listen, whether we agree with them or not has nothing to do with their weight. They have that weight because of the Lord. Even if they are pressing in on us and trying to micromanage our lives, even if they are mean and rude to our spouse, even if they let our kids do whatever in the world they want to do when they're at their house, even if, even if they are unbelievers, even if they themselves are in no way understood to be good. They never lose their weight, their honor in our minds, in our words, and in our actions. This has to do with our thoughts, not just what we say and do, but it has to do with what's going on on the inside where only God can see. They never lose our respect in listening to them, in holding up their words, whether we agree or not. And our honoring of them is filled with love and gratitude. And here's the thing. We do all of this unto the Lord. We do all of this as unto the Lord. So for those of you who did not have good parents growing up, I had amazing parents growing up. Some of you did not. Some of you have all kinds of, of hurt and scars, maybe both internally and externally, from your parents. For those of you who did not have good parents growing up, maybe you even had evil and cruel parents, you are empowered by the Spirit to find ways to express love, forgiveness, and respect 
as worship unto God and for his glory. Praise God for the radical transformation that happens by the gospel. For the radical transformation that trumps all the wrongs we could possibly endure so that even Christ being nailed to a tree says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. This is the way of Christ. This is the way of love. So first, wait. Second, there is a whole host of activities that this forbids. And I'm going to go through these quickly because most of these are pretty obvious, but I want you to see the scriptural support for them. A whole host of activities that the fourth commandment forbids for adult children. This would apply to kids at home too, but for adult children with regard to their parents. Mocking or scorning them. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 17. The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. You think God cares about this? Yeah. Hitting or abusing them. Exodus 21, verse 15. Whoever strikes his father or his mother shall be put to death. Proverbs 19, verse 26. He who does violence to his father and chases away his mother is a son who brings shame and reproach. One of the most shameful things I've ever seen is an adult with an elderly parent speaking unkindly, irritatedly, forcefully to their aging parent. It's despicable. It's disgusting. And it is to God as well. So we see mocking, hitting, cursing them. Proverbs 20, 20. If one curses his father or his mother, his lamp will be put out in utter darkness. Exodus 21, 17. Such a one will be put to death according to the Mosaic law. Robbing them. Proverbs 28, 24. Whoever robs his father or his mother and says that, there's no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys Ignoring or disregarding them. Now, it's probably the case, represented in this room, that we're not hitting, probably not mocking or cursing our parents. But listen, what about ignoring or disregarding them? Right, you just know, we just know it all, right? We've arrived. We've arrived. Uh, a lot of people here in the church in the 20s and 30s, we just got it all figured out, right? Mom and dad, that was thin. They don't have anything to give us anymore, right? That's folly. There's nothing Christian about that way of thinking. Proverbs 23, verse 22. Listen to your father who gave you life. And do not despise your mother. When she is old. We can all recognize ways in which we have not honored our parents. 
May it cease. May it cease. Third, wisdom. Wisdom. This is one you maybe haven't thought about. Wisdom. We honor our parents by walking in wisdom and honoring their legacy. By bringing them joy in our conduct. Now that may be one you haven't thought about. Proverbs 23, verses 24 to 25. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who fathers a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her who bore you rejoice. One of the ways that we can honor our parents is by simply living a wise and godly life. Because when we live a wise and godly life and we say no to sin, then we are causing a rejoicing in the hearts of our mothers and fathers. When we act foolishly, when we do foolishly, we speak foolishly, we raise our children foolishly. Dishonor God, follow the world. We cause our parents' hearts to be heavy, filled with distress. Let their hearts be filled with joy. It matters. And fourth, and this is the emphasis of the New Testament, we care for them as they get older and they have need. Two major texts to consider here. I'll go through these quickly because they're pretty self-explanatory, but here they are, Matthew 15, verses 3 to 6. Jesus answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. These are religious teachers who are saying you can devote things to the temple or say that you're going to devote things to the temple and thereby not care for your aging parents. Jesus says you have replaced God's word. You've replaced the fifth commandment with your own traditions. Your own religious traditions have replaced the word of God. 1 Timothy 5, verses 4 to 8, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. By the way, a return. We're all in here because of our parents. We're sitting here because of our parents. We're breathing air right now because of our parents. They, they, they changed our diapers or nappies, if you're living in the UK. They, they, they did that. They did that. They fed us. They kept us out of the road. Put band-aids on us when we fell. They did those things. Make a return. To make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. 
Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. For if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. In other words, who should be caring for our parents? We should be. And in this day, at this time, people are putting that over on the church. And Paul's saying, no, let the church will care for some, but, but let families care for their aging parents. And this is whatever it takes. Make the financial sacrifices. Make the convenience sacrifices. Make the nuclear family pleasures sacrifices to obey God. To do what it is the Lord demands of us. This is not an option. This is what it means to be godly. And that's why Paul says, let them first learn to show godliness. May it not be that we're coming along to church, reading our Bibles, serving in our church, and just letting our parents just float away. What kind of godliness is that? That's a godliness by our own making. Finally, outside the home. So we see this commandment in the home. We see it after the home. But then I want to end this morning with outside the home. Throughout the history of the church, and especially in the Reformed tradition, it has been customary to think of ethics in terms of the Ten Commandments. So when you go and read a book on ethics, it is, it is typical that you would get uh, an explication of the Ten Commandments. And when we do that, we recognize that there are both narrow and broad applications for each commandment. There's the very specific thing that we are clearly meant to do and, and not to do. And then there's the broader, it sort of goes out and out and further and further. And as I said before, there's a sense in which each of the commandments encompasses all of them. If you go out far enough, you keep going broad, 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 broad. And each of them has to do with the Lord explicitly, well, ultimately, as you keep going out further and further, more and more broad. When it comes to the fifth commandment, the broad applications deal with how we honor other people beyond our parents. So, yes, we've talked about honoring parents if you're a child at home and if you have already left your home. But now we talk about this commandment, the application of this commandment beyond, beyond the home, outside of the home, uh, without regard to our parents. So I've tried to capture this with outside the home. What does this commandment say beyond our parents, whether in or after the home? And before I note some of these, it's important that we notice how foundational honoring parents is. If people grow up not honoring parents, they will not honor anyone. Let me say that again. If we raise our children not to honor us, who in the world will they honor? If they do not honor those who gave them life and raised them, how will they honor strangers and others in authority who do not care as parents naturally do, not always, but naturally do for the good of their children? So parents, we have a big job to do. When it comes to setting the future course of our children's lives. Sometimes I hear parents talk about the sovereignty of God in, in what seems to me foolish ways. God's just got it all, right? Just let go and God's just got it. That's folly. God has given them to us. 
He's given us all kinds of instructions and all kinds of means. And he's given us all hours of the day with them. Are we just, we just going to sit back and see what God does with them? Where are we getting that kind of weird application of Reformed theology? We have a massive job to do when it comes to setting the future course of their lives. And so here I just want to give you a few ways that this commandment extends beyond mom and dad. So first it extends to governmental authorities. Romans 13.1, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. 1 Peter 2.13, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This is a clear teaching of the New Testament. We talked about this back in Romans 13. It's a big theme in Romans 13. It's how we are to submit to and honor the governing authorities. And then to church leaders, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It is very difficult for an adult to honor the police and honor the governing authorities and to honor church leaders if they haven't first learned to honor mom and dad at home. Wives with husbands, Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And it also extends to teachers and elders, Leviticus 19.32. You shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man. And you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. In our culture, it's all about youthfulness. It's all about being young. It's once again another instance of the way in which our culture, the course of this world, is perverted. It's inverted. Everything twisted, turned upside down. Honor to the aged. It's crazy sometimes to see the way that older people are treated in checkout lines, to see the way older people are treated when they're driving. Yes, we want to get there a minute earlier than we do. But this person in front of us is a human being made in God's image. And they might be elderly. And we're just fussing and trying to get around them. 1 Timothy 5.1. Paul tells Timothy, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. There's a way to relate to the sins of our earthly fathers. There's a way to relate to the sins of older men. We're younger, but it, but it involves encouragement, and it's not rebuke and admonishment in the same way that it would with others. There's a recognition. But I want to end on this note. As Christians, we recognize that this honoring doesn't just extend beyond parents to authorities in our lives or those with a particular status or in a particular position. No, this honor is to be directed to all. And that's why I say that ultimately this commandment encompasses all of life. It encompasses all of our neighbor loving. It encompasses how we relate to every human being we could possibly come into contact with. Romans chapter 12 verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Peter 2.17, honor Everyone, And isn't it such a blessing to know that we can honor the unhonorable, the dishonorable, 
We can honor even those who don't deserve it. But here's the thing. We don't either. Not a single one of us deserves honor. We deserve hell. We deserve God's judgment. We deserve his wrath. What honor do we think we truly deserve from our children, from our spouse, from anyone? Honor everyone. I end on this note. Where does that mindset and practice begin? It begins right now, parent. Right now, in each and every one of our homes, in the morning, throughout the morning, at lunch, throughout the afternoon, at dinner, throughout the evening, in the waking and in the sleeping In every area of life, what precious and significant hours these are. And as every older person says, they will fly by. And we know they do. They will fly by. And part of our job is to instill this mindset and practice of honoring others. And as we think about it today, honoring our parents as they consider that as what it means to honor their God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you give such clear teaching to us, Father. We don't have to be in the dark. We don't have to just flop along wondering what to do. God, you have given us such clarity in your word. And this is just the the tip of the iceberg in terms of what you have in your word for families, for, for parents, for kids and God, for for churches as we think about families, God, we're so grateful that you have instructed us so clearly and so wisely. Lord, we thank you uh, that you've given us this awesome responsibility to raise our children in you. And Lord, though we are so imperfect and though we fail so often and though uh, we sometimes don't truly seek their good, God, help us, help us to love our children. And Lord, I pray for parents who are here this morning who uh, have bought into the world's wisdom with regard to spanking their children, disciplining their children with regard to permissiveness and these other things. Lord, I pray that they would get before you and ask themselves, what does God's word really say? Lord, and I pray that all of us as a church would be a healthy place where we can help our children honor you in this way by honoring their parents and where we can help parents to raise our children in you. God, we also pray for all of us as we honor our parents as we're older. Lord, we need uh, your wisdom and grace. And in some situations, it's very challenging, especially where there are health needs and uh, lots of age. Where uh, are those parents going to be? Lord, questions, uh, concern, especially when parents are unbelievers or w- when they are unkind. Uh, Lord, there's lots of issues that are possible, Lord, and you alone can guide us. You alone can help us, but help us to be Christian, truly, and to live in the Spirit, and not to just follow the patterns that we see around us in this lost world. We love you, Father. We thank you for Christ, and we pray that you'd bless this time as we partake of the Lord's Supper here on the Lord's Day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll be serving communion, let me ask you to come forward this morning.
At this time in our service, we will celebrate the Lord's Supper, which is the sign of the new covenant, by the way. Last week, we talked about the sign of the Mosaic covenant, uh, the Sabbath, and we know the rainbow was the sign of the Noahic covenant. Uh, Here we have the Lord's Supper, which is the sign of the new covenant. So we celebrate this uh, today, recognizing what Christ has done for us and and giving his body and his blood. So I want to read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 to 32. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. Let me just say, uh, the Lord, he, he gives us spankings. He disciplines us as we see there. And one of the ways, things he disciplines us in is how we partake of the Lord's Supper. So would we come forward this morning well, uh, examining our hearts, confessing our sin, trusting in Christ, loving our brothers and sisters, resolving to walk according to his ways, And to be reconciled to our brother and sister, our neighbor. Maybe reconciled to our parents. uh, If that uh, hit you in a particular way this morning. Let me just ask, um, if you are here this morning, you're not a believer. uh, Please refrain from this portion of our service. This is for Christians only. Those who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ and have been born again. And uh, at the end of the service, we'll have some people over here who will pray with you if you would like to do that. And let me also just let you know we have some plates here on these tables if you've come this morning prepared to give in that way. So if, you, if you'll be partaking, let me ask you to come forward when you're ready.